We're in Philippians chapter 2. We got about halfway through. We'll try to finish, wrap up today. Uh, But one of the things that Paul is talking to the church at Philippi, when I say the church at Philippi, I'm, I'm literally talking about they believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Like, these people are saints. They're holy, righteous, and redeemed. This is who he is talking to. And one of the things that he's answering is an issue, a problem that they are having inside of the church. We talked a little bit about this last week, about being unified, having unity in the church, and how you get that unity, being of the same mind. It was, it's kind of like this morning, we're of the same mind, talking about the same thing, and just the passion, the excitement about, really, Jesus, being, being drunk on Jesus. And so he is trying to answer this question, and uh, he realizes that there is a, a temptation in the church to act out of our flesh, to act out of our flesh. Uh, Josh, what you shared, uh, the sobriety and um, the difficult thing is you, you act out of your flesh and sometimes uh, the flesh is uncontrollable. Like, there's, there's chemical imbalances, there's different things that happen, and I understand that, but the temptation is still there. And I'm not talking about just alcohol, this could be about anything, you know, food, uh, um, sex, uh, complaining, uh, you know, whatever it is, whatever the temptation the flesh is, he's having to deal with this in the church, and you're sitting there going, well, you're really talking about behavior. You're talking about behavior, how they're behaving. Well, yes, sometimes you have to talk about behavior. Uh, we say in here all the, all the time about how that works is I believe, I believe that I'm holy, righteous, and redeemed. My spirit and soul is perfect. It's holy. It's redeemed. I didn't do that. Jesus did that in me. When he died on the cross and I believed, I was redeemed. I was made new. And because of that, because of that, I have the mind of Christ now. I'm able to literally, the Holy Spirit living inside of me, I'm able to read this Bible and understand it. But at the same time, I get these crazy thoughts we talk about this all the time, those crazy thoughts. And I believe that that's the power of sin, that this power of sin sends thoughts to our mind and it, and it stimulates us and affects our behavior and it affects our choices. But the truth of the matter is, is that I have the mind of Christ and as I receive those thoughts, I can process those thoughts. I have the ability to process those thoughts and really it's the spirit inside of me that's doing that. Because if it's up to me, <laughs> I've proven I can't do it. I've proven that. And so now I'm at this point where I have to like trust this spirit inside of me to live my life for me, to keep me sober, to keep me to 
putting the fork down to keep me from complaining, to keep me from doing all these different things. It's his responsibility in me. That's what we call walking by the Spirit. Having another power source live your life for you. There's no greater thing about Christianity than that. That that someone can do something for you that you can't do for yourself. You have that in you. That's called Jesus. That's called this Holy Spirit. There is a battle. It happens all the time. It happens up here all the time. It's happening right now, I promise you. In Romans 6, it says, verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires, and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. There, there's a choice there. There's a choice. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law but under grace. The whole church in Philippi is being tempted about losing their unity. He says in chapter 4, which we haven't got to yet, he says in verse 2, he says, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Like, they're arguing. (laughs) They're going at it. Enough for Paul, who's in prison in Rome, to sit here and write a letter and say, hey, you guys need to get your act together. Because I'm hearing about it all the way back here in Rome. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side. These are people that understand Jesus, that know Jesus, that have the Spirit living inside of them, yet they're still going at it. They are like, they're not unified at all along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. We've literally worked in the church and now there's this dissension that's going on. And so here's where we get into Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, my dear friends, Mr. Tough Guy Paul in prison is now turned tender. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, This is a good pastoral thing. Just as as you've always obeyed. Like, he's putting this on them. Knowing that they haven't always obeyed. But let's just say, just as you have always obeyed. Come on, get with it. You realize that we live in a culture that it's cool to be disobedient. to be different he's literally saying what the greek says is shut up and do what you're told (laughs) it's literally what he's saying right here is just as you as always obeyed and remember what he said previously this requires humility he says so now not only in my presence but even more in my absence you were good at obeying when i was around oh here comes the preacher everybody straighten up How many times have I heard that in my life? I even heard it this week. Preachers in the room, straighten up. 
this is what he's saying. So now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, he's been gone about four years. And then we get to this passage of Scripture. Dan, you can understand this passage of Scripture. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We've all been there in the church where it says, okay, now you have to go to work. And you have to fear God. And you have to like, oh man, if you don't work. Well, first of all, I said at the beginning, who is he writing this letter to? He's writing it to the church. He's writing it to the believers. If they're believers, they already have salvation, right? You can't lose your salvation. It is a gift of God. He doesn't take it back. It's a gift. I have salvation. There is nothing that is going to change that in my life. I have salvation. So why is he saying work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is working in you? Yeah, that it's God working in me. It, we call that Sabbath rest. That's God working in me. Me resting and God working. Both to will and to work according to his good purpose. When Paul is writing this, he's obviously writing the saints who have trusted Christ, and they've been set apart for him. So that verb that he uses, work out, to work out carries the meaning to, to work full to completion. Like finish the math problem. Go get the fruit out of your crops. Harvest them. To work out your salvation it means to live in it literally that's what it means when you it's not go to work you need to get in the church and get on all the committees and get these programs going and get people saved and promote this thing and everything he's like just live out your salvation just just walk just walk what walk the dog oh we're going to have a conversation about me walking the dog and it's going to turn into me coming to a bar on Sundays you mean there's not an evangelistic program that got Mike here Hmm. just walking the dog work out your salvation harvest what has already been planted in you. That whole, that whole doctrine of regeneration is literally what's happened. Mike, what, what, what's happened to you, that new covenant is where God has taken out... Where'd he go? Did he leave? Where is he? I'm like... Oh, gosh. I'm like, where'd he go? He was sitting right there. (laughs) He's going to listen to this later. Mike, I'm talking to you. (laughs) That whole doctrine of regeneration is that the new covenant thing where he literally, you literally had a cold stone heart that you were born with because you came from Adam. We, Jeremiah talks about that. That's one of the prophets, and everybody uses that. that you know, the, the heart is evil and wicked, and 
But what about Ezekiel that comes after Jeremiah at 36, 26, and he says, I will give you a new heart. I'm going to take your, I'll put a new spirit within you. I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That really happened to me. I was eight years old. I had no idea what happened. I mean, I believed. I believed Jesus was my Savior. I said the prayer. I did all those things that I was taught to do. But I really did believe that Jesus was my Savior. And it was at that point where he took my stone heart out. And I learned that he died for all my sins later on in life. Not that I had to confess my sins every day. But he died once and he died for all my sins, past, present, and future. And everybody goes, oh, well, now you have a license to sin. You can just go out and do whatever you want. Well, let me tell you this. I am a new nature. I'm a new creation. I don't have a sinful nature anymore. Because it says, I took your old stone heart out and replaced it with a heart of flesh. And now you have this new nature and it's not a sinful nature. I no longer have a sinful nature if you want to know what a license to sin is, it's telling somebody you have a sinful nature. That's what a license to sin is. For me to sit here and say, I'm a new creation, I'm holy, it's like, say, if I'm going to work out my salvation and who I am and the understanding of what I've received, man, it changes the whole thing. I'm not even focused on sin because my sin's been dealt with. I'm focused on Jesus. I forget uh, Danny's in here and he left too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But he, he was like up here saying something, uh, teach them about what they're not. And I'm like, well, you, you, know, how, you know how that you can tell a, 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 a fake dollar bill, right? You know how they tell when it's counterfeit. Because they've studied the real one so much that they know what it looks like. So when they, when they see something different, hey, this isn't... And that's really what he's saying here is, you come to know Jesus, you fall in love with Jesus, that you know him so well, that when you hear something counterfeit, no, I'm not buying that. Penalty flag. That's literally what he's saying here is now God does a good work in you. It is the indwelling spirit that's working within you. It's, a, it's really a joyous life not having to do something that you don't want to do. <laughs> did, you, did you catch that? It's really a joyous life not doing something you don't want to do because it's the spirit doing it in you. There's a lot of things that I don't want to do that the Spirit leads me to do, and I'm like, okay, this is your deal. And we do it. <laughs> we don't do anything. That sounds like, literally, I don't do anything. If you know me, you know that's not true. God makes a Christian. I don't make myself a Christian. Jesus did that by being a sinless person who died for our sins. I didn't do anything but trust. That's it. That's all I did. 
It's a gift of grace. I became sanctified. And Paul's saying, God gave you a new nature, so live according to that. Work out your salvation. Live according to your new nature. God gives you new desires, so feed those desires. God gives you new gifts, so go do ministry. It's like, I have this gift, I'm not going to use it. (laughs) Thanks. God gives you the power of the Holy Spirit to live in accordance, not of your own strength. <laughs> I, I use this translation, paraphrase, let's say, paraphrase uh, occasionally, but in Colossians 1.10, it says, we pray that you'll live well for the master. This is a paraphrase making him proud of you as you work hard in his orchard. As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. I, I like the last part. The first part, uh-uh. not buying it. I like God's orchard because it's the fruit of the Spirit that works in me. It's the love, joy, peace, and all that stuff. It works in me. But... God works, you will learn how to do your work as you learn who God is. In uh, my humbleness, I recognize my limitation uh, and danger in knowing anything Greek. I'll just be honest with you. But in looking at that text, I think it's a far misrepresentation in this passage for one to interpret that God is proud of us. That God is proud of us. If you look at other texts, it's amazing to see the liberty that that paraphrase I just read to you took in Colossians 1.10. He's, the other translations say, he's pleased in us. He's pleased. I'm pleased in my kids. I'm pleased. Because you know me and that whole pride thing that he talked about last week, that Paul talked about, the humbleness. Verse 14, it says, do everything without grumbling and arguing. I literally think he's talking about these two ladies. But if you think it's exclusive to just those two ladies, you're wrong. Because it happens in here. Happened with the Israelites walking around for 40 years in the wilderness, the woods, the desert. And I think, do everything without grumbling and arguing. You know, sometimes we have questions about things. And having questions is absolutely okay. Questioning is is really doubting and not trusting. And sometimes we do that with God. The question is, 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 is really, what, what do you do with it if you have the question? I, I have questions all the time. I seek answers here. I seek answers here from my friends with wisdom. I seek answers. I, oh, watch this. 
I want to trust God more every day. It's his responsibility to cause me to trust him more every day. It's not mine. I'm trusting that he's going to give me trust. Faith comes from him. Verse 15, it says, So that ye may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation. Ooh. Among whom you shine like stars in the world. Uh, I'll tell you this. We live in a, a fallen world. We live in a corrupt world. Seems like it gets more corrupt every day. But people are watching you. And I don't want you to behave based upon people watching you. I want you to behave according to the spirit that's inside of you. I'm trusting that spirit to work out your salvation, to, to live it out on a daily basis. Yeah, trust me, they're watching you, they're judging you, they look at your social network and they pass judgment on you. I got birthday wishes this week and it's like, may your day be filled with uh, movies, baseball, and Jesus. Like, you know me because of Facebook. That's it. At least they got the Jesus part in there. People are watching. They watch the church. They love to judge the church. You're the church. In verse 16, by holding firm to the word of life, then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if I poured out, even if I am poured out as a drink, remember he's in jail thinking that he might be dying at the hands of the Romans. But even if I'm poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. He's like, tell others. Notice it. Encourage. Look around. Look around. Like, encourage Mike. Encourage Josh. Look around. Stop the grumbling and the arguing and just look around and, and love each other. Call them text them write them a note be pleased about each other and get just give a an encouragement to a brother or sister and then paul literally from that point he gives a great example of encouragement and saying that this ministry is not in vain paul's ministry is not in vain watch what he says he says verse 19 now i hope in the lord jesus to send timothy to you so that i too may be encouraged by news about you I want to hear what God's doing in you, how he's working out your salvation. For I have no one else like-minded <laughs> that teaches what I teach, that thinks like I think, that understands the Holy Spirit living inside of us. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interest. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with the father. He dearly loves Timothy. We get into letters that Paul writes to Timothy later. 
Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. Like, I'm getting out of this prison. And he does. He does. He gets out. But Paul was literally a mentor to Timothy. This father-son relationship. I've had many of those in my life. Many father-son relationships. I, I'm an, an, ad, I'm an approval addict. Like I need approval from people. And so I've had these men that I've looked up to that uh, it's like, you know, Big John's not here, but man, I always want Big John's approval. Who doesn't, right? And this is literally the relationship that Paul and Timothy have. I mean, Timothy literally got saved under Paul's ministry. And then, close up these last few verses, it says, But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. You think you like this guy? You think there's not sorrow when we lose someone? There's definitely sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him and I may be less anxious. <laughs> Paul's dealing with anxiety. He said it right here. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. He's like, be thankful for these people that are willing to put their life on the line to minister to you. Epaphroditus returned Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. He took that letter. And then we sit here and talk about that, about what Timothy and Epaphroditus have done for Paul and the church and all that. And I ask you, what's Jesus doing in you? Stop trying to fix your life. Did you hear me? What, what is Jesus doing in you? Stop trying to fix your life. And for that fact, other people's lives. Stop. How is God working in you? <laughs> what? grumbling and questioning do you need to repent of? Do you need to change your mind about? What is the root of your bitterness? Stop. Think about it. Just ask questions. Who needs you to be like Paul? There's people all around you that need you to be like Paul. Passionate, sacrificing, all about Jesus, all about Jesus. Or be, who, who needs you to be a 
Timothy or Epaphroditus? Why not, right? You don't have to be the hero. Maybe the learner. Maybe the humble servant. Maybe the messenger. I, I don't know. I say this. Work out your salvation in the Lord. Walk in it. Live it. Father, that's my prayer is that um, we just be encouraged by one another. We were so encouraged by uh, Dan and Mike and Josh today. Their stories may have totally impacted somebody in this room. As Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus impacted one another and they impacted this church at Philippi. I pray that we uh, trust you. You give us trust. That we can walk in your spirit and we can just enjoy one another. Be a light in this dark, dark world. I trust you with that and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.